Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. How are you doing? Hi. Uh, this is Andy and Shepard, his son. Sheppy's just woke up, so he's looking around, checking everything out. Hi. Katie, hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, glad you're with us. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, it's been a crazy last week for us, and uh, just uh, we were traveling, but keeping in touch with the news and what's happening in California. Um, and so the team and us were just kind of talking, going, "What do, what are we going to say? How do we address this? How do we deal with what's happening in our state?" Um, and so, in true Vox fashion, the only really way is to just talk openly about it. And so, uh, as a team, we kind of prayed this morning and had some shared some thoughts about. What do, we, what do we do as a community, as followers of Jesus? How do, we, how do we step in? Because at times you'll hear things like, you know, prayers don't really do anything. And so what, and where's God in the midst of all this? And so I, while I understand that and I, I feel that same sentiment at times, we still have to go, okay, what do we do? How do we move forward? And so um, as a community and as a church, I think it's important for us because um, the 24-hour news cycle, which now feels like it's almost every minute, um, keeps changing. I think what happens is you become uh, numb to some of the stuff that happens and you can sort of just flip through. I know for me, I looked at my phone and I saw mass shooting in California and I read the article and then I just kind of kept going. I just kept going with my life and, I, and it like didn't stop to think about the fact that lives were lost. Um, families are affected uh, forever because of this. And so uh, one of the things I think is important as a community for us to do is to, to remove ourselves from what feels like room temperature now. Um, violence, uh, mass shootings, fires, people dying. And it just kind of feels like that's room temperature. And when you kind of sit in that for a long time, you, you do get numb. And I think that's why we do need to step aside, step away from it, out of it, silence our phones, um, silence our life for a little bit and kind of sit in the midst of that. And I think as we pray, um, it's important to pray for the people that are affected. But I think it's important for us to pray that we don't become numb. Uh, Bruce, our community pastor uh, and pastor on call today, was saying uh, that we should that we should pray and ask God to help us feel pain, to feel the sadness, and to lament with those people who are, are suffering in the midst of all this. And I think that's that's true because uh, we are one. We're all all together. Everyone in this world, we're all one and in it. And so when my brother is hurting, I'm hurting, and and I don't want to lose that. And so I think as we start off this morning, we want to just take a moment and recognize that there's pain, there's loss, there's hurt, there's anger. Anger, there's frustration, there's all of those things that, and those emotions that are mixed in with that, and that's okay. Um, there's space for that, and there's time for that, and so we don't want to dismiss it. So what I'm going to do is just take just a few minutes, and I'm just going to be silent, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then Andy's going to do some announcements for us. Heavenly Father, we um, come before you with hearts that are heavy, um, minds that are confused, and uh, hearts that are longing for peace and reconciliation. And uh, at times it can be frustrating, and at times we want to just disconnect, and I feel numb to it. And so for that, I want to repent. I want to um, beg for forgiveness, and I want to ask that you would help me to have a heart like you. 
And I, I imagine what you feel when you look down and see uh, what you see and how does that, how does that affect you? And I, I want to feel that. And so I pray that as a community, as a church, as a people, that in the midst of these moments that we would take time to feel connected to each other, um, to feel empathy, to feel compassion. Um, I pray that um, in this room that you might move some hearts towards action. Well, I, I'm not sure not everybody is gonna do something, but Lord, we pray that there are some people who are asking and, and listening, and I pray that you would speak to them and that you would call them to, to be activated, to go and to do uh, whatever that looks like. Uh, give them courage and strength. We pray for the families and the people who were affected, uh, the loss that those people feel. Uh, we can only hope and pray that there are other people who are Jesus followers who would step into their lives and sit with them and mourn with them and lament with them um, and help them carry that load that they're carrying. So God, we pray that as a community, we'll continue to be mindful of these things, that we can step out of uh, sort of the, the humming and hear the silence and hear your voice calling us to, to be reconcilers of this world. So God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, here's Andy. Hey, guys. Um, fun contrast, obviously. Not fun of <laughs> me holding Shepard and us talking about those things. But um, in a way, that's actually such a, I think, a snapshot of um, my life, right? I mean, kind of sitting amidst um, all this stuff going on at the same time, wrestling with all the normal things of the world. And um, for me, yeah, I, was, I was sharing with all of them how um, it doesn't, for all of this, I've, over the past couple years, I've started to feel more of an awareness and a sensitivity to when these things come. And um, I'll just sit in them for a moment. And it's just, I think the, the despairing and exhausting part is just like, man, I just don't have, there's no grand, in fact, there's no grand answers, you know, to this. Like there's just such a big complexity from everything that's happening, not only in our culture and ourselves, our personal lives, but um, at the end of the day, um, my encouragement and invitation for you guys is what does it look like just to become more aware? What does it require for us to be able to pause? Um, like Ronnie says, have a moment to experience this. And um, for me personally, it just feels like, you know, we can't, we can't just walk the other way. You know, passivity is not the answer. I can say that for sure. And so whatever activity looks like for you, um, you know, just be listening to what God would compel you to do. And I have a friend who's on tour right now and um, his wife's family like completely lost their house in the fire. So on a tour, he's just like, I got to, I'm going to have a box at the merch table. And if um, you guys have anything, you can bring anything like gift cards specifically, just drop them off. I mean, it's, he's reaching out for his wife's family just in the simplest way of just saying like, they need help. You know, um, their house is gone. Everything's gone. And so um, just keeping, I think, your ears and eyes aware of what, what's going to be out there and um, pausing to ask yourself, what will you do when the opportunity shows itself? So um, I do have a few announcements, uh, of course, and uh, then we'll get going this morning. Uh, of course, Vox Dinners uh, is coming up, uh, I believe, this week here. Um, yeah, second week of the month, and we'll be getting into that. So uh, if you're not participating um, in a Vox dinner, uh, you could do that today. Go ahead and sign up. Um, we have uh, houses all around um, the county. We're just eating dinner, getting to know each other, um, and having a good time with that. So uh, sign up for that. Uh, yeah, there we go. So... Uh, uh, last year, I think we're about a year from when we first started doing um, our care workshops. And so um, these have been going um, really well. All of you have attended them so well and, just, and have said, like, this is these are the kind of things that we want. We did a survey um, around that time kind of asking a number of questions, but one of them was, how many of you um, would like to engage with resources around um, spiritual and mental health? And 80% of you said that you wanted something. And so the care workshops was our response to that. And so since then, we've done, this will be, I think, our fourth or fifth 
with, but um, all of them have been, you know, 50 people plus full room for every single one. So um, the holidays are coming. It's the season with the highest rate of suicide, if you guys weren't familiar. Um, so yeah, so topically, we're looking at grief and loneliness as a way to discuss that, especially as um, we all kind of gather around the family tables going into this season. Uh, what does it look like to engage with understanding uh, what all this looks like? Um, for my own family, um, it is a difficult time of the year as we've had a couple different losses um, in the past few years around this time. Um, and so uh, these are these are incredible opportunities for you guys to engage in some content that way. So I'd encourage you to sign up for that. They're free. Uh, that's, uh, yep, 7 p.m. on November 27th. It is a Tuesday night, I believe. Uh, they've been Monday nights in the past, but I, I think this one's on, on Tuesday. So, all right, great. And then some of you have asked, um, what's going on with the business of the church? Where are we at? What's going, uh, what are we doing? And so um, originally we were looking at trying to pull together just a smaller meeting in October um, amidst kind of planning for that where there were some other things we wanted to answer first before getting into that. But this is actually solid. This is going to happen. So December 9th, um, it's actually during Sunday service. Um, and we've got um, all kinds of fun things to talk about. And so uh, where we've been, um, where we are going. And um, so, yeah, that's that there. Um, and then I have uh, two other things. One, so uh, our good friend Izzy is actually out on tour right now in Europe for the next five weeks. So uh, yeah, so she is, um, she's playing in a band that's supporting an artist that's playing for a much bigger artist. And so uh, kind of came out of the blue and her and her husband Blaine um, basically were signed up for that. And so uh, we have Rachel here today. And so she's with us again as usual. She's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. There you go. And then uh, we'll have uh, some other friends uh, joining us just over the next few weeks. But don't worry, she didn't leave. So I just want to make sure you guys knew that she uh, she's out uh, doing her thing and what she's uh, incredibly talented and skilled to do and um, in her career. Uh, great. And then lastly, last thing I have is that uh, some of you, actually a number of you, have um, asked if uh, we could create a way for you to actually give uh, stocks and shares, um, not livestock. If you give us cattle and sheep, we have no idea what to do with those. Um, but if you actually invest and you uh, want to be able to give stocks, if you go to voxoc.com slash donate, um, we basically just have an email contact there uh, to our, our accountant to actually link that up and do that process. So if that's something that you would like to do, uh, we'd love to be able um, to receive that. So um, yeah, that's it for me. So Bonnie is here again uh, with us today. Uh, we're going to have her come out in a little bit, but um, we're going to go ahead and just do some some worship up front here. And uh, you know, in the past, you guys may have noticed that it's not often that we kind of start the service like in worship and doing that kind of thing, um, especially on a day like this where we're kind of in this posture of lament. We're kind of sitting in uh, the liveliness of what's actually happening in our society. But um, what I would say today is encourage you guys during this time to just kind of to hear the words, uh, to feel what's being said as a way to just kind of um, enter us into what the rest of the morning actually looks like. And uh, for not for some of us, it's not celebration and praise. And for some of us, we want to feel like we can celebrate and praise. And so wherever you're at, um, however you're feeling this morning, all is welcome. All is invited. It's never coercion. It's always invitation. Um, and then my only encouragement to you guys is that uh, you would be willing to let God surprise you this morning. So I'm going to let Rachel take it away and we'll get going. Vox, how are you? Good. I think someone was supposed to introduce me, but that's not necessary because I love being here and I was just here two weeks ago and um, thank you for welcoming me back and I'm sorry that again, I feel like every time I'm here, something has happened. Um, 
that we get to discuss together. So um, we're still in the book of Acts, um, but we're going to kind of go Acts, yes, Acts, and then Ezekiel, and then Matthew. Um, But again, like I like to do, I had them turn up the lights a bit because I like to see you guys, and um, I hope that we can have some conversations. We can kind of yell things out and talk to each other. So um, let's start with Acts. We are... In Acts uh, 23-ish, we're going to start in 23, and just like a quick rundown. So Paul is in um, a little bit of a situation. He's been being put on trial in Acts 23 through 25, but he's in this really unique place because he um, can't be tried by the Roman government because of his citizenship. And so they try to put him in front of the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin is um, a group of rabbis that act like a judging panel, basically. And the high priest is there. And the duty of the high priest um, has always been two things. The first thing is their job is to make peace between neighbors in the community, and then also between people and God. So they wanna facilitate peace. And so every decision they make, um, every rule they set, every judgment call they have, the main goal is to make peace. And so there, uh, if you pull up Acts 23 on the screen, please, um, they're in the middle of the Sanhedrin and they brought Paul up, but he's also like now this Jewish Christian. So he's in this weird place. You should read the whole two chapters to get an idea fully for um, kind of the dynamics here. But everybody wants to punish him and put him on trial and accuse him, but nobody feels like they can because they're not really sure where Paul belongs. And so uh, we're going to start at Acts 23, 1 through 5. It says, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. So he's like making his claim. He's like, I'm one of you. I have done everything that God asked me to do. Uh, Verse two, at this, the high priest ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. So that is actually symbolic for um, being a blasphemer. So Paul gets up there and he says, I've done no wrong. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do. And the high priest who's in charge tells the people around him to physically hit him on the mouth as a symbol to say, you're blaspheming, you're lying, and what you're saying is not true. Verse three, so then Paul says to the high priest, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. So, okay, this is um, kind of random, this whitewashed wall comment, and that's actually where we're just gonna sit, and we're gonna talk about that. But I find this so funny because this is so human of what Paul has done. So have you, have any of you ever been um, in an argument you, I guess it could be anyone, but generally this happens to me in my life if I'm in an argument with my spouse. And maybe you guys fight a little diff, or excuse me, argue, disagree a little differently than I do. Maybe you are kinder or just a generally nicer person. But um, sometimes we're in an argument and I'll do this or sometimes my husband will do this and you just say this little phrase, just one little phrase and um, it really kind of just rolls off, right? So I might be saying stuff and I'm done saying what I'm saying and I'm washing a dish or something and I look at my husband and I just say, you're acting like a child. And then I keep going. And my husband's like, whatever. 
But what I did just there was I planted this sort of like ninja bomb, okay, in his head. Because later, at first he acts like that's no big deal, right? So I act like a child, I'm not a child, I'm an adult. Like she doesn't know. But then later, you know, he's like pacing in his room and it's just like stewing, you know? He's like, I'm not a child, I'm not a child. And then he busts open the doors and he's like, I had a great childhood. I was a good kid. You know, and it's like, it's stewed in there forever, right? Because what I said was this tiny thing, but it really meant a lot more. And that's what Paul does here. He just like looks at the high priest and he says, you're like a whitewashed wall. And for the high priest, he's like, at first I'm sure like, whatever, like you don't know what you're talking about. But it actually is a statement that's this huge, huge insult about the way the priest is running the community. So let's go to, um, I'm gonna show you where it is and why it matters. So let's go to Ezekiel. And it is Ezekiel 13. So we find ourselves in Ezekiel and um, I do wanna say this. Oh, can you bring, bring up that disclaimer? I made this disclaimer. Do you have the disclaimer? Oh, here we go. This is a historical biblical narrative. Names, characters, businesses, places, events, locales, and incidences, and their metaphorical meanings are not meant to be a parallel to any current people, places, or political issues. Any resemblance to that, I'm not actual, that should say modern persons, living or dead, or actual events is purely coincidental. I would like to say this because what we're about to read is about this ruler who builds this wall. (laughs) And I just want to say two things. Number one, if you would like to draw conclusions on your own, that is up to you. I am not doing that. Number two, I would also like to say that it is bad theology and exegesis to just take something and then just apply it to a modern day circumstance, okay? I just wanted to make that clear for any questions that might be emailed. Oh shoot, also there was a question. This is why someone should have introduced me because I don't forget these things. There was a question about last week's sermon and I'm going to answer it in full Wednesday live stream 7 p.m. PST. I digress. Okay, so uh, Ezekiel 13. There is this man, okay, or this group of people and their their um, rulers, and they've decided that they want their people to trust them. And so they say, we are going to build a wall around your city to keep you safe. It's gonna keep you guys in, it's gonna keep others out, and it's gonna keep you safe. And so um, let's read Ezekiel one through seven. It says, uh, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. Your prophets, O Israel, are are like jackals among ruins. You have not gone up to the breaks in the wall to repair it for the house of Israel so that it will stand firm in the battle on the day of the Lord. Their visions are false and their divinations are a lie. They say the Lord declares when the Lord has not even sent them, yet they expect their words to be fulfilled. Have you not seen false visions and uttered lying divinations when you say the Lord declares, though I have not spoken? And then we go to the next passage in Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel 10. 
Um, and then he's, he's going on in those verses, but then this is continually about the same people. It says, because they lead my people astray, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. So what's happening here is this group of people are building this wall and they're getting citizens to help build the wall. And they're actually building it poorly. They're not even doing a good job, okay? But instead of fixing the wall, he says, you don't even go and you don't fix the flimsy structure. Instead of fixing it, what they do is they just go in and they cover it with whitewash, which is like um, anything they can do to sort of patch up the holes and then paint it to make it look nice, okay? So when they do that, it's this beautiful wall and everybody on the inside feels safe and everybody feels like they can trust these people and that nothing's gonna hurt them. And this passage is saying, but you need to tell them what you've done here, that the wall that you've created may look pretty, it may look sturdy, but it's actually not. It's actually flimsy and it's gonna crumble the first time someone comes at you. And so the problem, is that someone is declaring peace when there is no peace. Someone is declaring security when there is no security. Someone is declaring something's beautiful and good and strong when that's not the case. And then the second problem is, is you have this group of people living within that city who are putting their faith in that, who are saying, well, it looks good, and they said it was good, and so therefore it must be good. It looks safe, it looks strong. They said it looks safe, they said it looks strong, and therefore it must be safe and strong. And so when Paul, back in Acts, says, you are a whitewashed wall to the priest, is he's saying, the way that you lead your people is exactly like that wall. You are promising safety, you are promising goodness, you are promising strength, and you are promising peace that is not there. And so when you are telling them to condemn me, you are being a hypocrite. You are saying this is the way to peace. The route to peace is like this, and it's not. But you're leading all of them in that direction. And so if you were the high priest and you heard that, you would reference this in your mind and you would remember this story. And as a leader, you would absolutely question everything that you were doing and everything that you were saying and wondering, is he right? And you might not do it then, but it's one of those ninja bombs that planted in your head that later you're going, is that true? Is that who I am? Is that what I'm doing here? Go to Matthew 28. We see another example of whitewash from um, Jesus, actually. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in this passage, and it's in this section called the seven woes. And it's pretty brutal. Um, sorry, I'm, I know I could just read it, but I don't want to do that. Um, Excuse me, Matthew 23. Um, yeah, 27, 28. So it's just one of the woes. And he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. And so that is referencing another situation where somebody took something and made it look like something else. Now, this is important because we have graveyards, right? Like they're just, 
this sectioned off area where people go um, to pay their respects or we bury people there, we cremate people there. Um, and they didn't have graveyards per se. People usually, wherever they died, they were buried there. So there were sort of graves um, all over. Now the problem with that is that if you were Jewish and you were making your yearly pilgrimage to, um, to the temple, one of the um, ways that you could enter the temple is that you had to be clean. So you had to be ritually made clean. You had all these laws that you had to follow and you had to be clean. Well, one way that you were made unclean is if you came in contact with the dead. And so if you were walking and you've made this whole pilgrimage, you've walked for days and weeks and months and you're just about there and you like step on a gravestone or you step on a tomb, you're now unclean. And so you would actually have to then stop your journey, go through this like whole ritual cleansing process for all these days. You'd miss the pilgrimage and it would totally render your journey useless because you couldn't do anything about it. And so now... um, when the tombs were whitewashed, on one hand, it was helpful because it gave people an idea of where the tombs and gravestones were so you could watch out for it as you were going. But the thing that was deceptive about it, that Jesus is upset about in this, is that he says, you've made them look beautiful and forgotten what they represent. Forgotten that they represent something that is dead. And he's using it as a metaphor, though. He's saying... Pharisees, the way that you live your lives, the things that you believe in, the things that you teach, and the way that you lead other people is you make them look enticing and you make them look beautiful, but they actually are causing death and destruction. And so again, we have this situation where something is made to look like it's not. And in all three of these stories, who is it that's being called out? The religious leaders, exactly. Right? It's the prophets. It's the high priest. It's the Pharisees. There's, God has a problem when the religious leaders or leaders in general use their power to deceive people, to say, this is peaceful, this is good, when it's not peaceful and it's not good. Two weeks ago, I talked to you a lot about um, having good conversations in this political climate. And... Um, how to handle ourselves. And I believe that is true. And I believe that that is right. And I also believe that we should be people, like Andy was saying, not of passivity, but people of action. Um, but I also think that there's something to be said about the fact that me included, sometimes we put our faith and our trust in systems or in programs or in laws or in certain things. And when they don't work, we feel really hopeless. Sometimes things look really neatly packaged and then they don't serve us well. Well, the truth is, if you look at the news at all, we aren't safe. We're not. We are not safe. Out of 311 days, we've had 307 shootings. The entire state of California is on fire. There isn't a safe zone right now. At least that's how it feels, right? But the problem is, is that some of us, me included, are wondering why. So here's um, a personal story about me. I have been diagnosed with OCD. And um, for like a long time, I had a 
misunderstanding of what that was. I thought it was, it comes in many forms. I thought it was only the form of having to do something repetitively, so I never considered myself a candidate for that diagnosis. Um, but I, I get um, OCD, which then can spin into anxiety, which then can spin into depression quickly if I don't take care of the original problem. And so I'm sitting in therapy, we're talking about my um, OCD tendencies. And the thing that happens to me is I get um, OCD and nervous, to put it mildly, around um, germs and sickness. And I don't know why that was, because I was not always like that. And um, so I'm sitting in therapy, and I'm talking to her about it. And one thing she said to me that really changed my own perspective of me, of myself, Well, she said, you know, um, a lot of times people start acting in a way such as OCD or anxiety or something if they faced a traumatic situation in their life. And so they actually have PTSD from that situation. And so from learning your story, I know that you have PTSD around sickness and death in your life. And so what happens is you're actually operating, your brain is operating out of this trauma narrative and not out of a safe, healthy narrative. And so she said, neurologically speaking, what happens is you've experienced a trauma and you're going about your life and then you experience experience a trigger of that trauma. But if you haven't done the work of sort of digging up and getting through the trauma, then your brain reverts right back to the traumatic part of it. And so it acts out of the trauma narrative and not out of this new narrative that we felt. And so she's like, so for you, you're walking down the grocery store aisle and you get OCD about something or you start having a panic attack. And even though you're physically in the grocery store, your brain is back in the hospital with your stillborn. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense because I'm looking at the grocery store aisle and I'm like, there's nothing to be afraid of here. And I couldn't figure it out. And now I understand why that happens. But I also understand that sometimes in order to deal with those things, I've set up like a toolkit or safeguards to go, this is what you do to sort of keep that at bay. Sometimes that looks like medication. Sometimes that looks like meditation. Sometimes uh, that looks um, like exposure therapy, regular therapy. And all of these things are tools that I have in my toolbox. But if any one of you has ever dealt with any sort of mental illness, either situational or chronic, you know that sometimes you can have an entire full toolbox and you still aren't safe. You still don't feel like any of that is working. And that's true in these situations, right? The wall itself wasn't what the problem was. The wall itself was that it was designed and said, this is what's gonna keep you safe and so you don't have to worry about it. And there was holes in it in that plan. There was holes in the wall itself, right? The whitewashed tombs, fine if you wanna decorate it, but you can't pretend like what you're doing in your life and you can't pretend like the tombs don't represent anything that's hard. And so I think for a lot of us, we've sort of developed these safeguards and put up walls or put up things we must do in order to stay safe. And I've come to the realization, the hardest part for me is realizing that even then, I don't always feel safe. 
And so then I do feel helpless. I see another shooting on the news, or I see um, the fires, or I read a story that, um, about a family, or anything that triggers anything, and I feel safe, or I feel unsafe. And the biggest thing I wanna do is just stop. I wanna close off. I don't wanna X, Y, and Z, whatever that may be. And I say all this because it presents me and it presents all of us with a really false security. And we feel like everything's okay when it's not. And so the, the answer here, of course, is Jesus is the only safe one. And that feels really idyllic. And it's like, oh, great. I'm glad you said that. But how does that actually play out how does that play out? And the truth is, is I don't know the actual answer for you. But like Andy said, and what Ronnie said, is it doesn't play out by us pretending that we're safe when we're not. And it also doesn't play out by us not becoming involved, by becoming isolated. So today I heard a statistic that said, actually the number one healing thing for somebody with trauma of any kind, or mental illness of any kind, Therapy helps, good life choices help, medication helps. There's a lot of things that help, but the number one healing force is one single personal relationship. And so when I look at scripture and I look at what Jesus says, and Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, then it starts to come full circle for me because we aren't safe, but that's also just not the point. Our point in Christianity and following Jesus is never to be safe. Jesus isn't safe, but he is good. So the point is never that we're safe, and that's good, right? Because if we're gonna do the work of Jesus, if we're gonna go out and we're gonna take part in these things, we're not going to be safe, but we have a chance to be the actual hands and feet of Jesus. We have a chance to make an impact by being peacemakers by going out and doing the hard work. I've been talking with some friends and she said to me when the Vegas shootings happened, she said, I don't understand why God didn't stop it. And I'm like, I don't, I don't either. I don't understand why God didn't stop my own baby from dying. I don't understand why God didn't stop my friend's husband from being in a boating accident. There's a lot of stuff that I don't understand, and I'm so not going to stand up here and tell you a false reason that I've pieced together as to why these things happen, because I don't know. But I do know that it's heartbreaking, that life is hard, that it can be full of trauma, it can be full of stories that break our heart again and again and again. But take it from somebody who has isolated themselves and who no longer walks in that narrative. Relationships heal and they really do matter and they really do make a difference. And so our biggest way, our best defense against any of this stuff is maybe we could position ourselves to be open to building relationships and I don't know what that looks like. I do not know 
if you have a broken family, that that's where you start. I don't know if it's your neighbors. I don't know if it's becoming more politically active. Only you know that. But I do know that pretending we're safe and even sometimes pretending that just sending our thoughts and prayers are going to be fine and that we don't have to play an active role, that's whitewashing the situation. And we just can't do that anymore. If we are going to be taking part of the restoration of all things, which is what Jesus does and what he calls us to and what we say yes to when we enter the kingdom, that it starts with us on the ground, meeting our neighbors, being friends, connecting with the people next to us, building relationships because it saves them, but it also saves us in a really unique way. So if you will, I'm just gonna pray for us that maybe we could be open to that and see what relationships and people God puts in front of us going forward and that we could come as this really unique community who doesn't look to just programs or policies, but who looks at the whole thing holistically and starts by talking to each other and meeting each other and giving space for each other to grieve and to change each other. Let's pray. Jesus, I... Um, I thank you for the unique way that you design healing. I thank you that you care far less about systems that we've put into place and you care far more about relationships, that relationships better every single policy, every single safeguard, every single everything that you have oriented your kingdom and your people and this earth around knowing one another. That that's what makes the most difference. And so God, I ask for each of us, I pray that we could be open to what it might mean to be a peacemaker. I pray, God, that you would, whatever it is that we have that is um, sometimes stands in the way of that, I pray that you would come and you would dismantle that. I pray that you would put courage in our steps and bravery as we go forward, that we wouldn't wait for an opportunity to present itself, but that we would seek you out and that you would guide us and that even if we don't have a clear answer, that we would do something. Jesus, we pray for all the hurt in this world. And we thank you that you grieve alongside us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is embarrassing. <laughs> Let's try this again. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to participate and donate with uh, your time or your money, you can do that at the boxes there online if you want to give stock options. If that's something that you do, I know nothing about stock, so I'm lost there. But uh, if that's what you want to do, you can do that online. Uh, we'd love to meet you out on the patio. Pray that you have a great week. We'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.